Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, August the 13th, and today we're going to just once again revisit James, and this time with the idea of of how do we tie together chapters 4 and chapter 5 specifically um, to James. I don't know if you've ever been to Espresso News on Queen Street in Boone. If you haven't, well, I highly recommend it. I used to... Um, go there quite frequently. My office was uh, just around the corner. And I was there some time ago, and and I managed to get the second floor almost to myself, like basically myself, which is never happens. And but eventually a woman came upstairs and, and sat really close to me and all the seating is really close. And she said, Hey, will it bother you if me and a friend talk? And I said, Well, of course not. I mean, it's it's a public coffee shop. I mean, I can't expect people not to talk, right? So then she asked, well, will it bother you if we cry? Wow. I told her it wouldn't bother me. Um, so they sat there at the table, these two close friends and me within earshot. And in the safety of speaking in front of a stranger who didn't know who they are and who would never see them again, they began to open up about their lives in complete honesty. And, you know, obviously I won't repeat the details of that conversation, but that I overheard, but I I decided after a few minutes, it was, it was time to leave and to give them a bit more privacy. But the the summary of what they were saying and their conversation is this, is, is that life is hard. Actually, life can be brutal. It reminds me of advice I once heard for pastors, for preachers, and the advice was this, to be careful what you say when you preach because the world just rolled over and flattened half the people in your congregation every Sunday. So we're in this last sermon in this series in the book of James, and but I want to look at this large passage, this large section from James chapter 4, 13 to the very end of the book. And, and it's this passage, and in these these chapters and verses, it switches between a lot of topics. And I heard a preacher kid say, this sermon is going to be all over the place, but it's totally James's fault. The whole series is James's fault for, for that matter. So it's going to seem like this, this, and it seemed, I think, over the last couple of weeks that, that James was all over the place. And in some ways, that's true. But, but there is an overarching theme in chapters 4, in chapters five, and that is this, that life is uncertain and we need wisdom so we know how to live within that. So as we finish James, we, let's look at what James says with these two simple points. First of all, what, life is uncertain. And secondly, given that life is in fact uncertain, how do we live within it? Well, the first thing that James tells us is that life is, is uncertain. There's no, there's no promises. This is so important because of a lie that I'm tempted to believe. I'm tempted to believe that if I'm smart enough, disciplined enough, that good things are going to happen in our lives. We live under the illusion that we are in control of our lives and that the right strategy, the right techniques, and enough discipline, then we're, we're able to live, quote unquote, the good life. In other words, we think we're in control. The reality? Well, James says that we are not in control of our lives. He says in James 4, 13 through 14, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
James is not saying that it's wrong to make plans. The scripture is very clear that planning is a good thing. And Proverbs 21 says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Planning is a good thing. The problem is that in our planning, I often forget that life is uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We act like we can plan our lives when we don't even have control over the next five minutes. Our lives are unpredictable. They're also short. The Stoic philosopher Seneca said this, said, We are always complaining that our days are few and acting as though there would be no end of them. I thought of this recently. Uh, I saw this grid that shows how long the average person lives in months and in weeks. It's not a long time. And James compares us to a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. That was, that was common in the Palestinian climate. Water droplets in the air would form into condensation and then just disappear. Our lives are like that. The room where we sleep will at some point be home to someone else. And no one will remember that we live there. Our job, if it even exists in the future, will belong to someone else. Our great-grandkids, if we have them, our great-great-grandkids won't know our name. We will be forgotten to some point. Talk about depressing, right? But we have to face this or we're living in denial. And it's not only this that we have to face. James goes on to describe some of what we're going to face in the world. In chapter 5, he, he rails against the wealthy oppressors who take advantage of the poor and who exploit day workers for their own gain. I think James is, is speaking to, these, to Roman and Jewish non-believing employees, perhaps, employers, excuse me. Some of the people that would have read this letter would belong to the class of the day laborers who are being exploited by the wealthy. Not, not only is life uncertain and short, but there are many people who are dealing with gross injustice in the world. We live in the world in which wealth is unequally distributed and in which the rich can still take advantage of the poor. We still live in a world of injustice and inequality. And then there's just the general level of suffering. In verses 7 through 20, he speaks to those in the church who are suffering either in a general sense or with sickness. The actor Catherine Hepburn said, life is hard. After all, it kills you. <laughs> it is hard. And James reminds us that it's, it, it's not certain. It's, it's short. It's full of all kinds of troubles. There's no denial in the book of James. No hint that we will escape the troubles of life if we follow Jesus Christ. So what do we do then? How do we live in this uncertain world, this short, this difficult at times life? How to live in an uncertain world? That's the point, right? And as we look at this passage with all its twists and turns, we see that James offers three pieces of advice for how to live in this uncertain world through chapters four and five, kind of tying it all together. First of all, we have to remember that God is sovereign. We've, we've already seen that James says that life is uncertain. In short, we can make plans, but we really have no idea of what's going to happen in, in five minutes. So how shall we live then? Should we just go with the flow and refuse to make plans? No, James says, here's what we should do. In, in verse 15 of chapter four, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James isn't against planning, but James says that our planning should always realize that God may have other plans. James isn't saying that we should just tack on a pious sounding phrase to what we say. He's asking us to acknowledge that our own limitations, our ignorance, my frailty, my dependence, 
to acknowledge that and that God has the ultimate say about what's going to happen in our lives. We can trust God because he is good and he is sovereign. This phrase, if God wills, is to be the constant refrain of our hearts as we conduct the affairs of our lives. If God wills must be written over students' plans, the choice of of whom we're going to marry, future education, all everyday activities. Older people need to save from the heart. If God wills, I will spend my time doing whatever. If God wills, my children will become blank. If God wills, I will take up this ministry. If God wills, I will wake up tomorrow. All of this should have, all of us should have this heart attitude. That's from Kent Hughes. It's only when we comprehend the sovereignty and the goodness of God that we'll be able to handle the things that we can't control, which, by the way, is everything. Because behind the seeming randomness of life is a God who is in control even when I'm not, even when life seems completely out of control. Wendell Berry writes this, He says, I can't look back from where I am now and feel that I have been very much in charge of my life. I have made plans enough, but I see that I have never lived by plan. Nearly everything that has happened to me has happened by surprise. All the important things have happened by surprise. And whatever has been happening usually has happened before I had time to expect it. And so when I have thought I was in my story or in charge of it, I really have been only on the edge of it, carried along. Is this because we are in an eternal story that is happening only partly in time? We are part of an eternal story that we don't control. I can never think that we control it. Let's understand that God is weaving together an eternal story and to trust him and the everyday details of our lives because of that. So that's the first way that we handle uncertainty of life. We trust God because our days aren't uncertain to him. Secondly, we can trust in his justice. In James 7, excuse me, James 5, 7 through 9, he says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not crumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We know that life is full of injustice. How, how can we put up with all the oppression and the iniquity in, in our lives? It's still a question that we, we have to wrestle with today. We live in a world of economic, racial, sexual, you name it, injustices. And James has just finished talking about the way that day laborers were exploited by the wealthy. It's wrong. And James speaks against it loudly and clearly. You know, as if we boil it down to a personal level, some of us know what it's like to experience other kinds of injustice. We know what it's like to be wrongfully terminated. We've experienced um, our name being dragged through the mud. We, we've had unjust accusations, perhaps, leveled against us. We know what it's like to be mistreated. What does James say we should do? He's, he's already spoken about the injustice, and certainly we should... We should do. We know that, but even then, we we're we're still going going to continue to experience injustice and oppression. So James gives us one of the most powerful resources that have helped some of the most oppressed groups in the world to not only survive but to live with hope. And what is it? It is the justice of a holy God. 
God will bring justice for the oppressed. He will stand against the oppressor. He will right all wrongs. Every case of injustice will eventually be brought into his courtroom where justice will finally and completely be done. I read this quote, uh, stuck with me. It says, a soft view of hell makes hard people. And here's what I think that means. A lot of people struggle with the idea of God's wrath and justice. Believing in the reality of hell is, is a difficult thing. Well, that's a pretty easy view to hold if the worst thing that anyone's ever done to you is spray Roundup on your grass. But what if someone's really wronged you? What if you have, what if you have to deal with gross injustice in your life? What, what do you do when someone wrongs and hurts you at the deepest level and gets away with it? Well, the Bible provides an answer. Count on the justice of God. A central strategy for avoiding bitterness is to rest in the truth that God will see that justice is done. In Romans 12, Psalm 73, 2 Thessalonians 1. And in this passage of James, the scripture tells us that we can deal with the injustice now by resting in the truth that justice will soon be done. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor who lived and suffered under the Nazis, and ultimately they killed him. And when people, when asked how it was possible to feel love for such people, this was his reply. It's only when God's wrath and vengeance are hanging as grim realities over the heads of one's enemies that something of what it means to love and forgive them can touch our hearts. We can look to the justice of God, James says. God will right all wrongs. We can live in an uncertain world knowing that one day God will certainly set right everything, everything that's wrong. The judge is standing at the door. Justice will be done. So we can trust that God is sovereign. We can trust in his justice. And then thirdly, we can pray and support each other. The rest of James, which we looked at last week, chapter 5, 13 through 20, focuses on how we can get through this uncertain world together. And I think a key word that we overlook here is together. If we're suffering, we'll then pray. If we're cheerful, we need to remember to praise. If we're sick, call each other. Call the elders. Let them pray over you anointing you with the oil. The oil was a way of symbolizing that the elders were bringing this person before God for healing. Have we sinned? We'll confess our sins. Not, not all sickness is a result of sin, but God can use physical illnesses to discipline us. Is, is, there, is someone among us wandering from the truth? Then go after them. We have a responsibility to look out for each other, to care for each other. What James talks about here can't be done just on a Sunday morning. It means that we're in each other's lives. It means we're sharing suffering and joy. We're grieving with those that grieve, mourn with those that mourn, and we rejoice with those that rejoice. We're praying for each other. We're walking with each other through good times, through bad times. And what James said should be blindingly obvious. We're not going to get through life very well if we try to do it on our own. We need the church. More specifically, we need a certain kind of church, a church in which we pray for and we support and love each other. Life's uncertain. How are we going to survive it? By remembering that he is sovereign, he is God, and he is good. By trusting his justice and by praying and supporting each other, 
What is James saying? Only the gospel can give us hope in an uncertain world. Jesus rescues us from a life of randomness and uncertainty to a world in which we can know that God is for us, that God is at work, and then God will bring everything to justice, and that he's given us resources, church, family, family, to help us through this wild and uncertain time. Let's remember that he is sovereign, that we can trust his justice, and that we can pray and love each other. Amen, and God bless.